Welcome to the porch here on Firefall Talk Radio. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basics, by examining the Word of God and especially the example of the Book of Acts Church to see how the early church served the Lord. By delving deeper into Scripture, we find the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The porch is restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence that the early church had. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire still falls. If you have any questions, please visit firefalltalkradio.com. Use the contact button, or you can write us at the porch at firefalltalkradio.com. Lowercase one word, the porch at firefalltalkradio.com. If you'd like to support what we do, go to firefalltalkradio.com. There are ways to do so. Just pray and give as the Lord leads. We appreciate your support and encouragement, each and every one of you that do, that help keep us on the air and um, help us to buy the new equipment and do the things we're doing. Thank you. So welcome to all of our listeners on the various streaming platforms, doing things a little different tonight. Normally there is a um, recorded opening, but we're getting back to basics. The, The Bible study tonight is called Behave Like a Believer, and it's probably one of the first times I'm setting out to do a series of teachings because we're going to get back to basics We're going to get back to where we should be. No matter where you are in your walk, this is going to be for you. It may be new. It may be a refresher. It may be giving you things to share with others as you explain to them why you believe what you believe. So, Father, we just come to you right now in the name of Yeshua. You know our needs. You know our desires. We thank you. We thank you for all that you've done and all that you've given us. We thank you for our homes, our families, everything that we have down to our furry kids. We thank you for your protection over us, for the dreams and the visions and the fact that we are living out Joel 2.28 and the book of Acts. We thank you and praise you for your healing virtues and your divine favor and the presence of the Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you. For what you've done for us on the cross, you made it all happen. You've made us new creations, and you allow us to live in these prophetic times. So we pray. We pray for America. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May all the leaders that in power should honor you and live up to your word. And if they don't, Lord, that's your situation to deal with as you see fit. We pray for all of our brothers and sisters, whether Jewish or non-Jewish. We pray for them, Lord. We are grafted into the vine. We are a part of your children. And we pray for one another. We intercede for one another. We pray for the fatherless and the widows, the persecuted and the martyred, the poor in spirit, the bound, the oppressed, the innocents, and those who are Victims of injustice, so much injustice in this world, Abba, so much. 
the slaughter of the innocents, missing and exploited children, people being kidnapped and put into human sex trafficking, our brothers and sisters being slaughtered and persecuted. We bring them to you, Lord. We offer them up to you right now for protection, for healing, for ministering. Lord, we pray against the Antichrist. It's not his time. We're still here. So we pray that come into agreement with one another. And we say no. We push back. Father, we pray for divine wholeness, health, and healing. Get back to our divine design. No matter where we are right now, we offer up to you whatever we're dealing with, whatever's happening to us, whatever this fallen world has done to us, whatever our ancestral DNA has done to us, whatever we have done to ourselves. And we ask you, Lord, for healing, for deliverance, restoration, renewal. Whatever it is we claim, we believe, we receive. Pray your protection, your Psalm 91 covering over each and every one of us. And Lord, we pray that your children would wake up. Their eyes would be open. Their ears would hear. So Lord, send your blessings. Open the doors. Let's get to work destroying the work of the enemy, living out Luke 4.18, setting the captives free, and letting the world know who you are. And Lord, we call into the kingdom, we call into salvation, we call out of the darkness into the light all of our family members who are not born again. And we just pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. These lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So as I said, we're doing things a little different. Um, getting back to basics. Tightening things up, doing some new things, and bringing back some old things. I communicate with some of you, not all of you. I know that many of you just kind of lurk in the background, but I appreciate the fact that you listen. And I pray that the Bible studies are blessing you, that they're helping you in your walk. I see various things on the Internet and social media, and the abundance of information, but the lack of knowledge, biblical Scriptural knowledge is frightening to me. The enemy knows the Word. The enemy knows that he is God. The enemy knows what Yeshua did on the cross. Doesn't mean they acknowledge it. Doesn't mean they submit to him, but they know. They are prepared for the end times. Are you? People, they want to understand spiritual warfare. They want to do the glamorous. They want to do all these things that I talk about that SRT does. But if you don't grasp the basics of being a believer, it's not going to work. 
You need to behave like a believer in every part of your life. And that's what we're going to begin to talk about. You need to behave like you believe in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's not about what you know intellectually, but who you know and what you know about him. Everything flows from a relationship with him. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Honor Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We've been talking about hope. We've been talking about Noah and the days of Noah and how even in the middle of that debased demonic evil, there was hope. That the Lord God had made a way where there seemed to be no way. That hope that is in you comes from your belief in him. The authority that you have comes from your relationship with him. And your eternal security comes from his relationship with you. But see, relationship inspires obedience. You should not have to be told what to do. You should want to do it. You should do it out of love. I know I've shared this many times before, but when I got born again in October of 1988, certain things just left my life. I no longer wanted to do them. Certain things about my walk with him, I don't want to be, they became a priority. Nobody had to tell me to do them. I wanted to do them. That's what relationship does. That's what love does. See, he tried to do that with the children of Israel in the Old Testament. If you go with me to Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a treasure, special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And he's he's telling this to Moses. He chose Israel to be his children, a special nation. We, according to Paul in Romans, have been grafted into that vine. He didn't grow a completely separate vine. He didn't create a separate entity. He grafted us into the one that he already created. Peter also applies this description of the Israelites in the Old Testament to his primarily Gentile audience, indicating that they, like all believers in Yeshua, Jew or Gentile, are truly God's people in a new covenant era. Now you notice I didn't use the word Christians. I don't use it a lot. I use it if I have to or if it's written in a particular scripture to honor the writing. But understand the term Christian came from the Romans mocking us, mocking anyone who believed in Yeshua. Do I believe in him? Absolutely. But I call him Messiah. I call him Lord. I call him Adonai. And the longer I walk this walk, the more intimate and personal 
my interaction is with him. More, I don't want to say respectful, but my worship and my awe of him has grown. So First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, and sometimes they use the word peculiar. Yes, that's me. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Like I said, they were a dedicated nation that God had purchased, more so now through the blood of his Son on the cross, a special people, a peculiar people. There's no one like us in the world. There's no one like us in the universe. And we have been created and called and set forth to display the virtues and the perfection of him, Yeshua, Jesus, who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. There is no other light. Yeshua is the light of the world. No other religion, no other religious leader, no other person that's ever been worshipped of any way, shape, form, or fashion is like him. And you have been called out of the darkness of this world and into the freedom of his Son. See, that's that's the message. Oh, we can talk about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And we can talk about the icing on the cake, but we've got to make the cake. We've got to take the, the actual structure and embrace it all and, and take it all in. Of course, it all works together, and it's all part of the ingredients, but if you don't understand the basics, and I don't care how long you've been saved, and I've met a lot of people saved for a very long time who seem to know very little about the basics. That scripture I quoted you, the Lord quotes in Matthew chapter 4 about the darkness, called out of darkness. He says, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Yeshua began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, any Jew who understood the word knew that he was quoting the prophecy out of Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. The journey from darkness to light inspires appreciation and love. And that love inspires relationship and everything in his kingdom rotates around the concept of this love. See, that's the basics. For God so loved the world. 
We're talking about Noah surviving the flood, he and his family. We've talked about all these great men and women, the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, that even though they never received what they were looking for, they were steadfast. And he showed them love. He showed Abraham love. He showed David love. He's not this angry lightning bolt throwing God. No, that's the pagan God Zeus. That's what the enemy would like you to believe. That's what Hasatan, Satan, and the fallen would like you to believe. They don't want you to know him as a loving father. They don't want you to know him as Abba Father. But when you come into the kingdom of the son of his love, that's what you're entering into. So this Bible study actually began last week. And it began in my mind, in my spirit anyway, and came together over the last two days in Romans 12. This is the amplified version of Romans 12, 9 through 13. Let your love be sincere, a real thing. Hate what is evil. Loathe on all ungodliness, turn in horror from the wickedness, but hold fast to that which is good. Love one another with brotherly affection as members of one family, giving precedence and showing honor to one another. Never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor, be aglow and burning with the Spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice and exalt in hope. Be steadfast and patient in suffering and tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people, sharing in the necessity of the saints, and pursue the, hosp- the practice of hospitality. I could spend the rest of the night on Romans 12, but I won't could. I'm actually feeling a pull to. Never lag in zeal comes from love. That emotion is love. I've met people that have zeal, but it's not love. It's religious fervor. They hurt more people than they help. Part of the problem with Christianity is that it's hurt a lot of people because it was done in religious fervor, not in the love of the Lord. Love one another as members of one family. Take care, show precedence. precedence. You may lose me here, folks. If you hear, you hear a thump, it's because I've fallen out and there's nobody else in the room to take over. Should have like an automatic music thing. There's no talking for a certain length of time. Music comes on. Never lag in zeal. Oh, my goodness, if you love him, the kind of love I'm talking about, nobody has to tell you to talk about him. They actually tell you to shut up and glow and burn with the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit brings that to you. He brings that passion. He brings that love. He brings that connection and makes you want to serve the Lord. And that is that word hope. We've been talking about hope again. Rejoice and exalt in hope. 
Last week we talked for an hour about hope. We've talked about it through the weeks of the days of Noah. As you look in the world and you see what's going on and you look even in your own lives, sometimes it's hard to have hope. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when it comes, it is the tree of life. We're supposed to take care of one another. And that doesn't mean be taken advantage of because there are people that will do that. I've had it happen to me. But if you can help someone out, help them out. And it's not just about money. It's any help that you can give. Mow somebody's yard. Pick up some food for them. Whatever that love of the Lord in you inspires you to do for somebody as his representative. But we should never have people in the body struggling. Larry and I pray almost every day, and we pray for the blessing to go do what we've been called to do, and the majority of that is to help others. But the overall topic of Romans 12, 9 through 13 is what? Sincere love. Real love. Plain, obvious, undisguised, a real thing. See, on social media, people have their names at real so-and-so. We need at real love of the Lord, at real love of the Father, at real kingdom of God love. That's what we need. We need less TikTok videos of, of scantily clad women doing the things that they do and gaining millions of views and them making millions of dollars. Yeah, I'm on a little rant here, but I'm just astounded how well the kingdom of darkness pays. And yet the kingdom, those serving in the kingdom of God, don't. And that's not God's fault. Don't tell me this whole thing. Well, God provides. This, This is a new time. He's expecting his church to take care of one another. 2 Corinthians 6, starting with verse 4. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God, in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, not clothing, but whipping, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, behold, we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. That's the kingdom life. Paul knew it. Paul lived it. Peter knew it. Peter lived it. James and John and Luke and all the 
men and, and the women that came after them that served with them. The book of Acts, church, they set an example for us, and it's no wonder the enemy has done everything in his power to wipe out that memory, that teaching, that attitude, and get us into boxes and buildings and control the atmospheres and tell us to sit down, shut up, and look up at a person standing on a pulpit on a stage under smoke and lights and mirrors and sounds and speakers, and let's turn this into theater. Let's do what the Greeks did. And I say no. Let's do what the Book of Acts Church did. Let's get outside the four walls. Let's go to minister to people. Let's lay hands on people. Let's cast out demons. Let's do what they did and shake the world one last time before the return of the king. Let's do it by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love. 1 Timothy 1.5, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart from a good conscience, from sincere faith. James 3.17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Most of the churches today would fail, James 3.17. The love I'm talking about is unselfish, It's loyal. Its intention is benevolent and its commitment towards God and towards one another. See, getting back to basics, being powerful in the supernatural realm, being earth shakers and people changers happens because of love. Biblical love has God as its object, its true motivator, and its true source. Love is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It isn't directed towards the world or the things of the world. You know, the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh and the pride of life in 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16. We are warned, we are admonished, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. You can't love the world and love your heavenly Father at the same time. That'd be like telling me, oh, I love my wife and my mistress too. Eh, thank you for playing. Pick up your parting gifts on the way out. Wrong answer. Can't do it. You can't love the things of the world. You can't love what the enemy will give you and say, well, I love the Lord. The ultimate example that has been given to us, A, of his love, the Father's love, and for us to walk what I'm trying to describe to you is the Lord himself, Adonai Yeshua, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, Savior, King of kings and Lord of lords, 
It says in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Say, oh, wait, he's repeating himself. He's being redundant. No, he's making a point. We are commanded to love one another. And I will be honest, that is not always easy. As I was sitting here today working on the le- this the last two days, actually, and I get to that scripture, my first thought is, yeah, but Lord, there, there are just people that make it very difficult to love them. And he simply says, love them anyway. So I know then that I can't do that in and of myself. I know I must then tap into the Holy Spirit and his love and say, okay, show me them through your eyes. Because according to John, love is the test of authentic discipleship. They call John the disciple of love. It's what he taught on, talked about the most. He's the one who went everywhere with Yeshua. He's the one who laid his head on his chest during the Last Supper. He's the one that was there at the crucifixion. John is the example of love. So he, in his teachings and his writings to us, had made it the core of who we are. But the Jews had an understanding of this I don't even know if understanding is the right word. They they understood the concept. They centered their faith around the confession of the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, meaning the only God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength meaning your entire being. But then in Leviticus 19, you shall love your neighbors yourself. The Lord quotes it in Matthew 19. And Paul, in the same book of Romans that we're in right now, reminds them of that. Romans 13:9. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, You must not steal. You must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in one, this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if you go and read Exodus chapter 20, that's where the Ten Commandments are. If you don't know that, make a note of it. Every now and then you might need to go back and read it. The commandments, they are perpetual. They have not ended. There'll be people that'll tell you, well, all of the law went away. The Ten Commandments are still in effect. And they are, when you look at them through spiritual eyes, they're about relationship, his to us, us to him, commitment, his to us, us to him, and ultimately about love. See, if you love someone, you'll treat them right. If you love someone, your wife, your husband, whoever it is in the other side of your relationship, you won't commit adultery. If you love your neighbors yourself, 
for no reason except maybe last resort self-defense, you will not murder. And the actual Hebrew for that scripture is you shall not. We say shall not kill, but it's really it, that word murder has a different intention. It means I intentionally, through malice and forthright decision, forethought decision, end your life. You won't steal from somebody you love. You won't cover what they have so much so that you'll steal it from them. And, and I'm belaboring this, but I'm taking it to the simplistic level of if you love like he loved, you'll behave a certain way. John fifteen twelve. this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So simple, yet so difficult. Do you know why so many people, when you try to talk to them about the church or the Lord or whatever, don't want to hear it and some get violently angry because they've been hurt by the church? Excuse me. They've been hurt by people who call themselves Christians. They've been mistreated. They've been taken advantage of. They've seen human behavior, but they've not seen the Lord. From the beginning, it was all about love. God's creation of Adam, his saving of Noah and his family his relationship with Abraham, his relationship with David, all the way on through Yeshua, all the way on through the disciples, all the way on to the final chapter of Revelation. It's all about love. 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 through 7 tell me this. But those who obey God's word truly show how they completely, how completely they love him. And this is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Yeshua did. And then John says, dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one. You've heard from the very beginning. And this old commandment, to love one another, is the same message you heard before. but yet we can't seem to do it. Why? I'm asking that question. I wish we were all in a big room somewhere and we could interact. But think about it for yourself. Why? Why can't we do it? Oh, we've been hurt. I get that. We've been put in a position where our natural human response overwhelms our spiritual response. But John kind of goes on to answer his own question in verse 8. Yet it is also new. You shall live the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing. The true light is already shining. If anyone claims I am living in the light but hates a fellow believer, brother or sister, that person is still living in darkness. 
See, for John, it wasn't just a requirement for fellowship, but in his mind, it was a test of salvation. And I know over the years I've said this, what I'm about to say, and some people have taken offense at it. If you are truly born again, you will act a certain way. And when I see people do the exact opposite of what they should be doing, I very logically question whether they're actually born again. Now, I don't know. Maybe they made a mouth confession, but it never made it to their heart. Maybe there was no culmination of mouth and heart. I I don't know. But I do know that there are a lot of people that I've met who claim to be believers that do not indicate to me by their actions that they are born again. First John 3.10, So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Children of God equals kingdom of God. Children of the devil equals the kingdom of darkness, the world, the children of the world. And we've made it so difficult to tell the difference. We've brought so much of the world into our worship services and our fellowships. And I'm not just talking about how people look. I'm talking about the, the, the spiritual atmosphere. I'm talking about the whole package. We have gone out of our way to be seeker-friendly and to bring people in that we haven't done anything about changing them once they got there. And you know how people change? Oh, not because you give them rules. Not because you tell them what to do. You do guide them. You do give them guidelines and you disciple them. But people change because they want to change. The Spirit changes them from the inside out. We need more of that. We need more of changing people from the inside out. It may happen over a period of time. I'm not the same person I was in October of 1988 or 89 or 90 or even 2000. You're always in process. You're always growing. You're always changing. And that's because the Spirit is always moving. And if the Spirit is moving, it's bringing fresh life. It's bringing fresh water. It's changing you. You're growing. If you're not growing, if you're not changing, then you should be wondering why not. Romans 14, verses 16 through 18. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Messiah in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. In Romans 14, Paul's dealing with what people ate and what people drank and how they looked and the external action. But what he was saying is the kingdom of God is, again, my expression, the inside out. It's righteousness, his righteousness. It's peace, his peace, and it's joy in the Holy Spirit. Our behavior proves who we are in him. 
proves it to the world, proves it to the enemy, and it proves it to ourselves if we're willing to look. The enemy can spot a true believer. The enemy can spot somebody who's walking in power and authority through relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And nine times out of ten, unless they are dead set, literally, on engaging that individual, they'll move to the next person who doesn't have that, who doesn't do that, who isn't that strong, isn't that faithful, and who will sell out and compromise. But if we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we are lying. Why? Because he's not walking with us in that darkness. We're not living the truth. Now, that's not condemnation. But there is correction and conviction. So, If you and I, if we're partakers together and we enjoy fellowship with him, which you should be doing and enjoying, but we live and move and are walking about in darkness in the world, then we're not only speaking falsely, we're not even living or practicing the truth which the gospel presents. That's called hypocrisy. That's why the world doesn't want to hear the gospel from people. That's why you have to show them the gospel. You show it to them in love. You show it in compassion. You show it in your actions. People that have been hurt or people that have been turned off by the hypocrisy they've experienced will be convinced. You are who you say you are, and Yeshua is who you say he is, when they see you live it and walk it and breathe it. I remember what it was like before I was born again. And people would try to tell me about the gospel, talk to me about being born again. I had a fixed image of anybody who used that phrase. First of all, having been raised Roman Catholic, that was like toxic to me. That was radioactive. I don't need to be born again. I was born that way. I was sprinkled. I was dunked. I was slapped. And none of that really means anything if you were one of those people. I was. But if you came at me with the whole born again thing, boy, I would not only chew you out, but because of the demonic knowledge and anger I had inside of me, I would chew you up and spit you out. No, I needed to see the love. I needed to feel the grace. That's what changed me. If we're going to behave like believers, if we're going to shake this world one last time before the return of the king, then we're going to have to change the way we do things. Starting with turning our view inward towards us. You know that expression when you point the finger at somebody? Three fingers point back at you, which makes you three times more likely to be the problem. If you don't know it, I just shared it with you. Believers love to point the finger at other people, but they don't like to look at what's going on in their lives. They don't like to look at what's going on in their families. 
We have preachers up on pulpits or huge, huge internet followings who suddenly go, oops, by the way, I left my wife. I've I've married her best friend or I've married a girl that used to sing in the choir with me. It's all good. God forgives me. God loves me. Send me your money. No, dude, you need to step down. You need to go away for a while. We need to start behaving like we believe in him. But that doesn't mean we compromise. That doesn't mean we go the way of the world. That doesn't mean we look to the world for our help, for our salvation, for our supply. Forgive my raspy voice. I've been having trouble with allergies and sinuses all day. This heat is not helping. 1 Corinthians 6, starting verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the perverse, nor those who participate in aberrant sexual activity, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkens, nor revilers, whose words are used as weapons to abuse, insult, humility, humiliate, intimidate, or slander, or swindlers will inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God. And such were some of you before you believed. But you were washed by the atoning sacrifice of Messiah. You were sanctified, set apart for God, made holy. You were justified, declared free of guilt in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, and the Ruach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit of our God, the source of the believer's new life and changed behavior. There it is, right at the end of verse 11. The Holy Spirit of our God is the source of the believer's new life and changed behavior. You cannot do anything I'm saying in the natural. But you can do it because of the Spirit that raised Yeshua from the dead is inside of you. So this behavior that we're talking about is a result of what? Relationship with him. Or relationship with the world. It's either one or the other. You can't straddle the middle. Because the minute you put one foot in the world, that's where your allegiance is. I I know that some people don't want to accept that. But the minute you put one foot into the world, you have compromised. And you've broken covenant. So what are the characteristics of worldly believers, friends of the world? It should read, in my own notes that I put in, two different categories, characteristics of worldly believers and characteristics of friends of the world. It's in James chapter 2, verse 23 in the Scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, 
and he was called a friend of God. But then you have in James chapter 4, being a friend of the world. You adulteresses, disloyal sinners, flirting with the world and breaking your vow to God, do you not know that being the world's friend, that is loving the things of the world, is being God's enemy? Whoever chooses to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's really not that hard to understand, is it? I mean, if somebody tells me they crave sexual, the sexual gratification, the, the worldliness, the false beliefs, the, the um, permissible sins, if you will, the, the tendencies of the world, if, if that's what they say they like, if that's what they say they accept, wouldn't it make sense that they're friends of the world and not friends of God? I mean, I think, it, I think it's pretty clear that if you do those things and those are the things that you want, that's whose side you're on. I mean, I've, I've used this illustration before. It only works if you are, <clears throat> excuse me, a baseball fan. But I am a New York Yankee fan. I have been my whole life. But if I went to a Yankee game dressed in Red Sox memorabilia and rooted for the Red Sox, what would people think? That I was a fan of the Red Sox, which in a Yankee world is not good. That's the opposite of being a Yankee fan. My point being, you can say you're one thing, but if how you look and act says another that's what people are going to believe. You can sit in a pew all you want on Sunday morning, but if for six days of the week you act like hell, you do things that the world does, I don't care how long you sit in that pew on Sunday, I'm more convinced what you did the other six days. Abraham was a friend of God because he was righteous and did what was asked of him even at his own detriment. Conversely, his nephew Lot is the image of a friend of the world. When they decide to pick land, Abraham lets Lot pick first. He picks Sodom, bustling city, a lot of action, business, money, people. Abraham stays out in the fields. Didn't work so well for Lot, did it? Abraham was faithful. And when we stand before the judgment seat of Messiah, believers will be rewarded for their faithfulness on earth. And others, unfortunately, will barely escape the fire. Their lives produced no fruit for the kingdom. They did nothing. They said nothing, stood up for nothing. They were more worldly than they were spiritual. Lot lost everything when God destroyed Sodom. All the worldly success he had, all the favor he had built at the gates, gone, lost. His popularity, prestige, his property, lost. 
His wife lost because she disobeyed and looked back. Even his daughters, who got saved through the fire, had been so imprinted by the sin of Sodom in their hearts. They got Lot drunk, essentially raped him, and bore two children, two sons, by him. So if you looked at Lot before that, he probably said all the right things, did all the right things, lived a godly life, offered hospitality to the angelic visitors, and even tried to, tried to protect them, looking outwardly moral. But when the pressure came, he compromised. And instead of standing his ground for these two angels that the men in town wanted to be intimate with, clearly indicating to me they under, understood that angels could have sex, he offered up his daughters. I'm sorry, I have a problem with that. But trying to appease the crowds, he was willing to sacrifice his daughters and showed himself for who he was. If we're going to say we're godly and we're going to act godly, then we need to show it and behave like we are believers. We can't compromise. We can't water it down. We can't go along to get along. When the pressure comes, when you get squeezed, you'll find out who you really are. So you better guard your heart. You better stop letting things in that will change you. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Protect your heart what you watch, what you think, what you feel, who you interact with, because it will determine the course of your life. Out of the, the abundance of the heart, the Lord says, come blessing and cursing and all these things to show us who you really are. We have got to start behaving like we believe in, in him. And I'll also tell you, if you commit to doing that, it'll keep you from messing up. I can't tell you how many times when, when out in public or something will happen and my old nature will flare up and I'll want to respond a certain way that either the Holy Spirit or my wife sitting next to me will remind me you can't do that. But nine times out of ten... I will know I can't blow my witness for that momentary satisfaction of acting out or saying what I think or being clever or sarcastic or, or doing whatever it is at that moment I think is the best thing for me to do, which is the worst thing for him, and it embarrasses him, and I don't want to do that. I want to behave like a believer. I want to behave like... I really know him, and I want others to believe it too. Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14. We're going to close with this. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope, there's that word again, and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua, who has given himself for us, 
that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Lord, help us. Holy Spirit, help us to behave like a believer, to be living examples of you, to shine a light in a fallen world, the right words to say, the right actions to show. Help us to love one another, care about one another, be sincerely, compassionately affectionate towards one another. Holy Spirit, we can't do it without you. And I pray right now for everyone listening, for everyone that whatever measure of the Spirit they have, that they get more. Filled, overflowing, stirred up inside, turn it up. Fire it up. You're already there. We just want to burn brighter and hotter. Help us to be what you need us to be in this time. Help us to say what you need us to say. Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we worship you. In Yeshua's name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord, Adonai Yeshua HaMashiach, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. We'll see you next time here on the porch on Firefall Talk Radio.